Wonderful. Okay, so we've got to the very last phrase of um, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. I, I've, I've titled this for want of a better title. I always struggle giving sermons titles. I mean, the overall title of the series was called Teach Us to Pray, but this one I called A Call to Prayer, A Call to Holiness. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, verse 13, in just a moment. It's, it says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. What I'd like to do, though, is just to, to read the verse, that's the, that one verse, in context. Um, we're going to look at that whole prayer and a little bit preceding it as well. And just to slightly confuse things, I'm going to be reading from two different translations. The first section will be from the New Living Translation. The prayer itself from the New International Version, that's for continuity's sake and nothing more. We've all been looking at that uh, version of the prayer. So, Matthew 6, reading from verse 7. It should come up on the screen behind me. It says, when you pray... Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do or the pagans do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me just pray. Jesus, I pray that this whole series will change us and challenge us. So familiar, those words are so familiar. We've, many of us just grew up reciting them in school and in different contexts in church. But let it be more than just, just a, something we recite, but let it be something that changes us from, from within. I pray speak to us. Today I pray you'd speak to me and through me as we look at this one verse. Amen. Amen. So... First of all, I just want to say, how do you pray? How do you pray? Jesus here, in this passage we just read, contrasts the sort of praying he had in mind, the Lord's Prayer, with the sort that went on in so much of the pagan world in his day and before. So he says, don't babble on and on, as the Gentiles or the pagans They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And it's known um, that pagans would pray these sort of formulaic prayers to their gods or their goddesses and often would use long, complicated words and they would repeat them over and over again. Some of you know, do you remember the story of um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Do you remember that story? It's such a good story. I just want to, I'll, I'll paraphrase it a bit and read, read a little bit of it to you. But um, so it, it, Elijah is, he's, 
has been summoned. In fact, all of Israel has been summoned to join Elijah on Mount Carmel. And there's about 450 prophets of Baal, a false god. And there's another 400 prophets of Asherah. So there's all these, there's all these pagan, professional pagan worshippers, right? They're all gathered there. And Elijah sets a challenge. It's a challenge of, that, that, that he says, Mate, we're going to make a sacrifice. We're going to take a bull. We're going to slaughter the bull. We're going to put the bull on the, bull on the altar and we're going, to, we're going to catch it alight. And he says, but the fire is going to come from heaven. The fire is going to come from God. So he said, go on, you start to the prophets of Baal. So they do. They prepared one of the bulls, it says in verse 26 of 1 Kings 18, and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. You can imagine that repetition, can't you? They're going on and on shouting, they was. It says, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. You imagine this scene. There's hundreds of them crying out, repeating over and over again. And about noontime, so they've been going from morning to noon, Elijah begins to mock them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Or perhaps he's daydreaming. Or he's relieving himself. That's probably a polite way of translation. Or maybe he's away on a trip, or he's asleep, or he needs to be wake, awakened. So they shouted louder. And they cut themselves with knives and sword until the blood gushed out. And they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, and there was no reply, no response. Can you imagine that? There's hundreds of them, and they're repeating the same things over and over again. And they're shouting at, and they're shouting at the sky. Nothing happened. And then verse 30 of 1 Kings 18 says, Elijah called to the people. He said, come over here. They all crowded around him. And he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water on, over the offering and the wood. So you've got the altar, you've got wood, you've got the, the, the meat that's ready to be cooked, if you like, the sacrifice. And then he pours water over it. Jars and jars of water. So it makes it even more difficult to catch a light. And then Elijah prayed. Not like the hundreds of them from morning, noon to night. Elijah prayed. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. O oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know you, that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. And it even licked up all the water that was gathered in the trench. Right? That's the difference. That's the difference from babbling on and on and repeating the same thing and crying out to the, to the darkness, crying out to the wall or the ceiling. And nothing happening, morning, noon and night, to a prayer of faith. To a prayer of confidence in a God who does answer. In a God who does respond. What's your attitude to prayer like? What is your prayer life 
Like, do you shout at the darkness in the vague hope that somebody might be listening? Do you think repetition twists God's arm? Or does your prayer take you face to face with Jesus so that prayer goes beyond words and merges with love and delight and grace and wonder? It probably sits somewhere between those two, actually, doesn't it? Right? Because prayer is a mystery. We, we know we ought to do it, but we're not always sure why. And sometimes we're not even sure how. And that's why Jesus gave us the framework of the Lord's Prayer. You know, it, it, when Elijah prayed, well, it, it, he says... He says, well, you, you, know you, you know before I ask you sort of thing, doesn't he? I'm trying to find the verse I'm thinking of. But it's, it's like there's a confidence. Jesus gives us a framework to pray with confidence. Our prayers should be meaningful. It's not some sort of magical incarnation, incantation. Abracadabraism. Jesus gives us a framework of prayer so we can use ordinary language to talk with an extraordinary God. And I understand there's the, the gift of speaking in a language we haven't learned, and that can be a prayer language. But right here, he's given us very ordinary language to speak to a, an extraordinary God. So we get to this verse 13. There's a quote that um, I quite liked because this sums up so many people from Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde said, don't tempt me. I can resist anything but temptation. Right? And I, I guess a lot of people are like that. I don't want to be tempted because I know what's going to happen. But this verse we're focusing on today encourages us that there is hope that we can confidently pray that we will not be drawn into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't, the, the New Living Translation says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You know, the Lord's Prayer ends, this is a sort of quite a somber, serious note to end the prayer on in a way, isn't it? A realistic note, but, but you think, oh, this is getting a bit serious. You know, and as Jesus is teaching in the context of that Sermon on the Mount, where thousands are gathering and listening to what he's got to say, he must have been aware of what was coming his way. You know, the horror and the pain and the separation of the cross. You know, remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. There must have been a temptation there to not go through with it. He's wrestling in prayer in the garden. Oh, if, if only this cup could be taken away from me. We know Jesus faced temptation in the wilderness after his baptism. You know, after 40 days of fasting when the devil comes to him and says, he doesn't say you must be hungry. But he implies it by saying, turn these stones into bread. Jesus faced temptation. 
and he resisted. He urges us, his hearers at this time on the Sermon on the Mount, and us to pray to be spared temptation, to be delivered from the evil one. We don't want that, do we? Then pray. You know, today we, we, have, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. You know, we, we know the Easter story. We're aware of that. We have the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit with us. But we still need to pray this prayer. We still need to pray this prayer to resist temptation, to be delivered from the evil one. There will always be times of crisis in our lives, won't there? Dark times where we can be tempted and tested personally. As a church, churches go through a similar thing where temptation and testing comes. We need to respond right. We need to, act, we, we need to be, be responding in a holy way. And in the world around us, we see there's temptation and testing all the time. We need to respond in prayer. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, Godlison was looking at the previous verse. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That verse really shows us how in prayer we can confidently lay hold of the freedom of forgiveness. What a grace that is. That we can be forgiven, we can be free, that we can be clean. And as we pray that, we're acknowledging that God has defeated the power and the penalty of sin. Once and for all. How did he do that? Well, he went to the cross, didn't he? How did he do that? He lived a sinless life. He resisted temptation at every turn and every point. He did nothing wrong. He said nothing wrong. He didn't even think a sinful thought. And his mission was to go to the cross to be a sacrifice, a cursed death. The shame and the horror of his blood shed on our behalf. Defeating sin and when he rose again, defeating death itself. What a wonder. What a glory. Hallelujah. And then here in verse 13, Jesus turns his attention from the past, from that wonder of forgiveness that he purchased at such a great price for us. He turns our attention from the things we've done wrong that need forgiving, and he looks forward and he addresses our vulnerability to temptation and to trials. Have you ever faced temptation? Can we, should we have a show of hands if anyone's ever been tempted by anything? Anything at all? Yeah. I, I think most hands, if, well, I think all hands should be up. Thank you. You can put your hands down. It's not a, I'm not going to make a note of your names or anything to speak to you after. Yeah, I will pray for you. Pray for me, man. <laughs> Do you know what? Preparing this 
right? You're so aware, aren't you, of any temptation that comes your way to, to how you respond to even a loving wife, how, you know, how you speak to her, um, to situations, to circumstances. You think, oh, I'm, I'm looking at having a temptation. It seems like I'm aware of it at every turn. Resist temptation. <laughs> Maybe you've been tempted just to tell a little lie at work because it's easier not to tell the truth. Or tempted to be angry for someone, what you thought was a really good reason. Right? Tempted to respond to pain or bereavement or heartache in a way that doesn't honour God. I was, you know, I was chatting to a fella in the week down the blue. It took me about two hours to walk through the blue the other morning, right? I spoke to three different people. And I was chatting to one guy who's been through some tough, tough stuff that's happened to him and his family. I don't want to go into too much detail um, because you'll probably recognize who I'm talking about. But something happened. There was some violence done towards him and his family, his son. And uh, he was telling me about it. Now, he, he's not a Christian, obviously. He's, he was telling me about how his nephews will be wreaking revenge on the perpetrator. He said that person thinks they're walking around free, but we know where they live and uh, they'll bide their time. Now, there's a temptation there to respond to a bad situation with even more bad. Right? He's not a Christian. We think, no, we've got to resist temptation. Deliver us from it, Lord. Temptation comes from all sorts of ways. Tempted to have sex with someone who's not, who you're not married to. It's happening all the time. Tempted to use positions of power to your own gain. Tempted by an addiction. You think, ah, oh, it's like going back to it again. And and we know by the grace of God that people can resist that temptation, even to addiction of decades. Tempted to feel sorry for yourself. (laughs) I do it all the time. (laughs) No, mate. (laughs) This Then that means the Lord's Prayer is for me and it's for us. We We can own this. We want to live holy lives, don't we? If we want to live holy lives, we've got to be prayers. It's another, this is an advert for the prayer meetings that are coming up. You know, Chris said double, the challenge is to double. Let's be there. Let's gather at those prayer meetings. Because this isn't just going through uh, the motions. This isn't, well, we're Christians, so we've got to pray, haven't we? This is, no, this is coming face to face with the risen Lord Jesus. It's coming into his presence. It's being in, in awe of him and knowing he would hear us and knowing he would answer us. That's that's what this Lord's Prayer is for, isn't it? And this specific part regarding temptation. I just want to ask a question. Some people get a bit confused about this passage because does God actually lead people to temptation? Does God lead us into temptation? Because that's the lead us not into temptation is the prayer. So what's that about? It can't be right, can it? A holy God leads us to temptation. Well, of course it's not, right? It's it's, it's just a a use of language. It's confirmed in the book of James, who 
it says it quite explicitly in chapter 1, verse 13. James says, remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So just put that one to bed. So that's a bit confusing. A holy God leads me to temptation. No, it doesn't. The Bible tells us that's not the case. The reality is that temptation is something we can find all on our own. Ain't it? <laughs> right? But James goes on to explain in that passage in chapter 1 that those temptations come from within, from our own sinful desires. Yes. Temptations can also come or be triggered by people around us and situations we find ourselves in. Um, they can also play on our own evil desires, as James puts it, or, or from the devil and his demons. The devil is sometimes referred to as the tempter, isn't he? Right? Well, there's temptation all around us, but we don't need to be fearful, but we do need to pray. Because we live in a world full of temptation, right? Wherever it comes from. Until Jesus comes again, there will be temptation in this world, right? So how are we going to live in that world full of temptation? Well, we've already, we've already heard we must, be, we must be praying. Let me encourage you from um, John chapter 17, which is a prayer you could argue is better titled the Lord's Prayer because it's Jesus praying on our behalf. Um, it, but he says this in John 17 verse 15. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take... He's talking to the Father. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying for us in this fallen world we're living in right now. Jesus prays for our protection from the evil one. And he encourages us to emulate him and pray for ourselves in the Lord's Prayer. Doesn't he? Don't just he's, he's praying for us and he's saying, pray. Now, we've got an enemy who's waging war on us. We know that. We've experienced it. You know, the, the well-known verse in 1 Peter 5, which says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, it's not to be scared. It's to be aware. Stay alert. You're in Christ. You, by his grace, we can pray even though evil is at work in the world. Listen, at the cross, Jesus defeated the power and penalty of sin, but its presence is still here. So what do we do? We pray. We pray, and we look forward with faith and with expectation, with the assurance that Jesus will come again, and then he'll even wipe out the presence of sin then the, even the presence of sin will be gone as he wipes every tear from our eye. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Then he will establish his rule and his reign. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We won't have to resist temptation then because there won't be any. Oh, makes you want to hurry to that moment, don't it? Right? But until then, we live in the tension of a world where there is temptation. And as we understand that the devil is waging war against us, 
we should also understand we can't win this battle on our own. That's what prayer is about. Prayer is an expression of dependence. I can't do this, Lord. But I know you can. I need you. Maybe that's why these words begin with lead us. Lead us. Lead us, Lord. We'll follow. Right? In this world full of temptation, we realize we can't win the battle on our own. Is that where you are? Do you think you can do it on your own? Sometimes we act, I do, we act like we can. I think, no, I'll be all right. I've got the mind of Christ, which is true. But I've got to be dependent on him. And prayer is an expression of that dependence on the, on the victorious Lord Jesus. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're praying, God, keep us from it. Keep us from temptation because we want to follow the way of righteousness. Do you want to follow the way of righteousness? That's the way I want to go. And I muck it up so much. I think, no, I've got to go there. I want to go that way. When we feel the inclination to sin, Lord, keep us from the opportunity. And when we have the opportunity, Lord, keep us from the inclination. Right? There's a prayer. You can have that one. The, the power to overcome sin and temptation only comes from Jesus, the one who defeated sin itself. Why, why do we presume we can do it on our own? We all need a deliverer, don't we? Right? The power comes from him. The battle with sin, listen, the battle with sin isn't won when we're facing temptation. It's won before that. It's won when we're facing Jesus. When we're facing Jesus in prayer, when we're facing Jesus, when we're devouring scriptures, when we're listening to his words to us, when we develop a pattern of passionate, powerful prayer, do you see what I did then? I'll say it again. When we develop a pattern of passionate, powerful prayer, that's when we're winners. Right, that's where we find the power to resist temptation. That's where we find the grace to live holy lives. <coughs> In prayer, we learn about our need for dependence. It's a humbling thing, isn't it? When we pray, we show that we depend on him. In the book of Hebrews, the, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 said this. He said, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The battle with temptation is won when we come face to face with Jesus. And it's primarily in prayer. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace. And as we think about this prayer week coming up, 
let's have that in mind. But this is, this is ongoing. This is day by day by day, isn't it? This is us in our little closet in the corner of our room. This is us on the bus or in having lunch at work. It's like confidently approach the throne of grace in prayer. And let's understand that his mercy and his grace give us the power to claim the freedom we have in the forgiveness of Christ. You are so special to him. We are so special to him. He looks at you and loves you and wants the very, very best for you. He wants us to be face to face with him. You know, if you're anything like me, you, 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 prayer, do, prayer doesn't come all that easy, right? I, it's almost like if I've got the opportunity to go and speak to some people down the blue, I'd do that rather than pray. That's my inclination, right? I'm being honest. <coughs> but I understand I need to pray. I understand I need to be face to face with Jesus so that I can face temptation and resist it. That's how it works. When Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation, and I'll just draw this to a close now, he's teaching us to give up any self-reliance, any self-confidence, and put our trust in him. Jesus, lead us not into temptation. Jesus, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. It's putting our trust in him, the one we know has defeated sin and death. We can overcome because he's already overcome. We can pray, deliver us from the evil one because he's defeated the evil one. Right? We can turn away from temptation because he carried our cross. God, man. We can say no to sin. Because he said, Father, forgive them. And we can live for him because he died for us. Amen. Can I pray for us? Should we stand? Lord, first of all, and I pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and I pray that we will be a people where that's not just words, it's not just a little incantation those, those are words that we pray on a daily basis, those are words that we pray because we are face to face with the living and loving Lord Jesus I pray that the sermons we've heard through this summer around the Lord's Prayer will be life-changing for City Hope. Lord, we'll be a people hungry for prayer, understanding the necessity of prayer, wanting to pray, wanting to come face to face with Jesus, wanting to be in his presence, wanting to know his gaze upon us, wanting to experience his love over and over and over again. Lord, let us never be too busy to pray. Let us be humble and let us be those who quickly turn to you, confident 
that you want the very best for us. Lord, change us as a church. Move us on. Lord, that's what you're good at. You take us and you move us to the next level and the next level. Always becoming more and more like Jesus as we stick close to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray we'd, we'd just devour it. We'd devour your word that you would speak to us through the Bible as we come to you in prayer. There'll be that reciprocal communication, speaking one to another, hearing your voice as you hear ours. I pray all that in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.